This is Guns and Butter. And this is the design of this thing. It's, it's incremental. It's a global plan that's implemented locally, and it's incremental because you cannot go from the nation state to a one world governance system in one jump. It's regional. The interim step is regionalization. And that is what we are about to experience now. Better life. Everyone always thinks things are going to get better. Um, under this plan, things for the developed nations do not get better, they, in fact, are reversed. And this is the hardscape for your future poverty that's being developed now. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Rosa Corey. Today's show, Behind the Green Mask. For almost 30 years, Rosa Corey was District Branch Chief for the California Department of Transportation, an expert witness in land use, an appraiser, and a commercial and industrial appraiser, mainly focusing on imminent domain valuation. She is an international activist for individual rights and free speech. As the author of Behind the Green Mask, UN Agenda 21, she has exposed the face of United Nations Agenda 21 and shown activists how to identify and fight it locally. Her popular interviews and speeches have garnered millions of views on YouTube, and she speaks around the world. Rosa Corey, welcome. Thank you for having me. In your incredible book, Behind the Green Mask, UN Agenda 21, you describe your years of land use activism on the local level, dealing with city general plans, redevelopment agencies, the city council. You've worked tirelessly representing neighborhoods in land use struggles with the city continuously running up against obstacles, restrictions, penalties, fraud, and quite by chance became aware that municipal and county land use policies are actually being generated at the global level. Quite hard to believe, I would think. Could you describe some of the work you were doing on behalf of your neighborhood and how you first became aware of UN Agenda 21 Sustainable Development? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a lot <laughs> to talk about. Yeah. And I want to say that um, I want to start out by saying that um, I, you know, my, my entire background is on the left, pro-choice, pro-gay marriage, anti-war, you know, I've been an activist basically on those issues since I was around 13 years old. Um, I, uh, I was a district branch chief for the California Department of Transportation, an expert witness in land use. I'm an appraiser, commercial industrial appraiser, mainly focusing on uh, eminent domain valuation. So um, in around 2005, I, I owned some property uh, in, a, in a northern California town, and I was elected to a, a citizen's oversight committee for a huge redevelopment project. Um, I hadn't even known about it and uh, because it's not a, a disclosure issue for property when you're buying property, so I didn't know. Uh, but the, the neighbors came to me and they said, hey, would you represent us on this board? So I, I ran for that board. I was elected to it. And, uh, and, as I, and of course, in my, in my work as a professional uh, appraiser and, and a representative of the people of the state of California, 
all of the people. I was accustomed to reading uh, environmental impact reports and, and, and all kinds of land use plans. So I took a look at this plan, and um, as I did some research on it, basically checking my own properties and how they uh, came out on that plan, on the research for that plan, I saw that it was fraudulent, that in fact uh, the plan was, uh, was actually skewed towards approval. And uh, I, I thought, you know, at first that those were just some honest errors that I found. And as I brought them to the attention of the board and of the city, uh, I was actually targeted for removal. And not only that, but it got worse. They tried to get me removed from my job, um, went and uh, wrote articles about me in the newspaper as it became more and more public. And in response to that, my, my wife and I um, created a, um, a sort of a citizen's group where we uh, wanted to bring this information to the citizens who had no idea that this redevelopment project was actually uh, geared towards removing their businesses along this so-called Gateway Street. It's about uh, 1,300 acres through the center of the city of Santa Rosa, uh, considered to be blighted, which um, is a, actually a legal term. So anyway, as I was doing that research and you know being targeted and, and experiencing that, it was an amazing experience because here I was thinking I was going to be helping the citizens and the city would love having me since I was so knowledgeable and instead it turned out to be uh, quite the opposite and I, uh, I was shocked to be a target of people that I considered to be my people, people that I thought would be on my side with me and uh, so that was a huge awakening and uh, our group was a, uh, was a property rights group so in, in researching property and joining with other uh, citizens property rights groups I met a lot of people who were conservative and that was kind of the first for me because I really hadn't even I don't think I'd ever even spent any time talking to a conservative and so that was interesting and they had uh, you know they told me about agenda 21 and at first I thought no this is too crazy a global thing this is ridiculous it can't possibly be true it's some right-wing nut kind of thing and my wife said you know you're a researcher instead of smearing this without knowing anything why don't you do some research on it and uh, I was you know kind of duly embarrassed and I did do some research and I the more I researched the more shocked I was to find that yes this is a plan it's actually a global plan implemented locally it looks different it's the same plan everywhere it looks different it's got different names on it everywhere you have it in your town, wherever you are. And uh, it was agreed to in 1992 by uh, 178 nations plus the Vatican. It's a United Nations plan. And of course, you're going to say, hey, I don't see the UN in my town. And this is a weird, whatever she says, it's a right-wing weird thing. And I'm not going to listen anymore. The truth is, uh, a lot of us just don't know much. You know, you really don't know. And uh, the more you do know, the more you find out Awareness is the first step in the resistance, and you find out that, yeah, it's not a right-wing nut thing. Globalization is real. We can remember 1999, the Battle of Seattle, WTO protests that didn't go away. Globalization is a standardization of all systems, and uh, the capability that's possible now with, um, with computerization is, uh, you know, universal connectivity and uh, digital connectivity. This makes... Uh, it possible to integrate and unify uh, the governance of the world to a single body. And that, unfortunately, is exactly what we're experiencing, what we're seeing now without quite realizing it. That's what globalization is. 
you write that UN Agenda 21 is masquerading as environmentalism. What can you tell us about an NGO called the International Council of Local Environmental Issues, or ICLE, that is carrying out the goals of Agenda 21? Is environmentalism the green mask? Mm-hmm. You know, the actual document of United Nations Agenda 21, Sustainable Development, that is really a, a book. You could get it from the United Nations. It's about 300 pages, about 40 chapters. And it is a hijacking of the environmental movement. It's not, you know, about creative reuse and recycling. Um, in fact, sustainable development, which everybody thinks they know what it is, uh, is a term that was coined at the United Nations in 1987 by the, uh, the Rutland Commission, which is the uh, commission that actually came up with Agenda 21, the agenda for the 21st century. That's what that means. So sustainable development is really, it's a whole life plan. It's, a, it's what they call the comprehensive plan of action, what Al Gore called the wrenching transformation that would require a complete change uh, of every system in the world from the ground up, basically. So, um, yes, it's a hijacking of that environmental movement because those of us who care about the world, and that's everybody, the environment, most all of us, uh, don't want, you know, they, we don't want to see the world destroyed and we don't want to be part of that. So uh, it's a way to, it's, it's a, it, what I call it is, <laughs> Before COVID, I called it the uh, the biggest public relations scam in the history of the world because really what it, it what it is is it's a manipulation. It's a behavioral manipulation to make you think that um, by reducing your uh, your energy use and your use of the land itself, water, uh, plants, animals, construction, means of production, education, information, transportation, literally every system of the world, by reducing your footprint, your ability to utilize this world that we live in, um, that you're saving it. But really, you know, the, the, the design of this plan is really to restrict us, to move us out of suburban and rural areas into high-density city centers, where, of course, we can be more easily monitored, controlled, and surveilled. And sustainability, you know, uh, you see this term smart everywhere, smart growth, smart home, smart phone, smart car, right? SMART is an acronym. It's sustainability, monitoring, assessing, rating, and tracking you. So ICLE is the International Council on Local Environmental Initiatives. And there was a big push. If, if you're on the left, you, you have no idea that this really happened, uh, that the Tea Party was it's not like some, you know, bizarro right wing ready to take their guns and knives in their teeth and, and run through your house. <laughs> Actually, it's a bunch of, you know, a lot of older people, really nice people, uh, you know, accepted me as being queer, didn't ever give me a hassle. I've spoken in mega churches all over the United States. No problem. Uh, very nice to me where I was, you know, basically attacked by the left. But, uh, you know, that's an aside. So basically in 2012, um, people really became much more aware about this group. It's an international group. It's a membership group. Uh, as it's called itself, it's the International Council on Local Environmental Initiatives, but now they call themselves ICLE, which means nothing. It's just the letters. And uh, local governments for sustainability. It's really not a local group at all. It's really governmental. So it's not a non-governmental organization. It's governmental. 
and it's not local, it's really global. And what it's designed to do is to sell greenhouse gas climate action plan software to different cities, you know, all cities if they can around the world, but to actually do basically um, monitoring and measuring and assessing of your use. This is micro-focus down to your actual home and, and then finding ways to restrict your use of energy. And even though this does sound like a great thing, I do want to say that the plan is actually designed to deindustrialize the world, to restrict our ability to use anything in our environment, including our farmland and our water. And to, you know, basically the idea is that uh, economy, ecology, and social equity are the three E's of Agenda 21. And so ICLEI is focused on making sure that you are going to be restricted in your ability to use energy, which means that you're going to, you are going to be restricted in your movement, in your ability to produce something, and in your ability to live anywhere but in a smart growth unit in the center of your town, basically an apartment over a shop on a downtown street. That is the focus. That's the, uh, you might say that's the central ideology of the uh, International Council on Local Environmental Initiatives. What about regionalization and the destruction of boundaries? How does a lack of boundaries serve this global agenda? The thing with globalization is that globalization, as I said before, it's the standardization of all systems, and that enables central uh, central control. And, you know, I mean, I'm not talking about Dr. Strangelove or something like that, some guy maniacally giggling while he's, you know, controlling all the... I'm talking about this is basically harmonization of all systems. And that's because this is a mega corporate plan. And major corporations, mega corporations, what they want is no borders, no boundaries. They want a single system of law so that they don't have to retool every single time they go from one country to another or one locale to another to sell their stuff. They want a mobile workforce that can be easily discarded. They want to uh, be able to basically deal with as few different entities as possible that are rule makers or decision makers, ideally just one, and, uh, and, and many other things. They basically want to hold the decision making themselves, mega corporations, and this includes all mega corporations, the all systems, you know, whether it uh, goes from a major conglomerate that controls uh, all the way from the media to the educational system to your resources. I'm speaking with author, activist, and researcher Rosa Corey. Today's show, Behind the Green Mask. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. So, um, when you're looking at that, when you're looking at a control at that level, what globalization is, is basically, you can't do that. It was impossible to do before um, computers. So with, uh, with, a, with a computerized system, with a centrally controlled computerized system, regionalization is the interim step between what we have now or what we're leaving, which is the nation state, to, to the next step up above that, which is regionalization, and then finally to global. So the way it works is that at the nation state level, you yourself, although we have lost control of this, but you yourself elect a representative who re- represents you. There's voting 
Um, and ideally, you're able to remove the representative if that representative doesn't re- represent you. At the uh, regional level, you have no voice. You're not able to vote. You want to see what that looks like, take a look at the EU. The EU, uh, you know, you've got the European Parliament. It's a legislative body with no ability to bring legislation forward themselves. They have no power. There's like 700 people or so on it. But what really controls the EU region is the 26 or 7 or whatever uh, representatives of their countries that are on the European Commission. But in that case, they are not allowed to. They are actually forbidden to represent their individual countries. They can only represent the common good, the rights of uh, the European Union. Now, this seems like something that's absolutely impossible to happen in the United States. It just seems absurd and ridiculous that you would have regionalization. But, in fact... um, this is the plan, and it's not, you know, something that I'm, you know, sort of out of my mind, weird, you know, kind of a paranoid person. I'm not. This was my career, was being able to support. Uh, I was an expert witness. I testified in court. I have to be able to find this stuff and prove it. So that's what I do. So America2050.org, which is a project of the Ford and Rockefeller Foundations, um, it used to. Uh, you have to go to the uh, Wayback Machine the archives of the internet to find this because they've changed it and taken it off now. But uh, America2050.org is really uh, moving from the states to regions. So you have, rather than 50 states, you have 11 mega regions. And those regions break jurisdictional boundaries. And your question was, what is the big deal about jurisdictions? Um, is That is where we vote. We vote city, county, state, and fed, uh, or parish or whatever you have, but city, county, state, and fed. And that's where your vote is. Now, with a region, you have no vote. These are unelected boards and commissions that you cannot remove and have no power over. And they break the jurisdiction of the county, the city, the state. In many cases, include like 32. I'll give you some names of different uh, regional plans in a moment. But, you know, it might include portions of different states, portions of different uh, counties, portions of countries. So you might have uh, the... um, Northwest region, which is called Cascadia and includes part of British Columbia and the United States. In the east, you've got part of uh, eastern United States and part of Canada. Uh, In southern California, you have part of Mexico included in this regional plan. So these break our jurisdictional borders, and that is dangerous to your ability to have some voice. This plan takes away your voice, takes away your power to dissent. If you consider yourself right now a global citizen, I urge you to stop and ask yourself, what does that mean? Because this is this is an, a behavioral plan, it's a manipulation designed to make you think that you are part of a globe, but in fact, yes, of course you are, obviously, but of course uh, you don't have any voice when you're a global citizen, you have no rights. You have privileges that are granted and can be taken away, but without rights. Now, these regions that you've just named, are these codified in the documents of Agenda 21? Agenda 21 is almost a, this is why I called my book Behind the Green Mask, because it is a green mask. You have to really know what you're looking at when you read that, or it's just going to sound like a bunch of really nice, you know, groovy, uh, happy stuff. And that's the way these things are designed. They're designed so that uh, of course, it looks good. Uh, you don't, you know, you don't look behind that mask to see what do they mean when they say that, you know, for instance, I'll tell you. Um, well, 
let's just put let's just look at their sustainable development goals. Uh, this is what Agenda 2030 is. It's the milestone year, a 30 year in from the beginning of Agenda 21, which is the agenda for the 21st century, 100 years. Uh, agenda 2030 is the 30 year milestone. There's another milestone at 2035, another one probably at 2040, and then 2050 is when they plan to have this all completed. So when you're looking at um, at what the what the plan is, what the, what the ideas are for this plan, um, the design of it is that you know you're not going to be using your your resources. You're going to be restricted in your movement, and um, and of course, in order to do that, in order to uh, to look at this, you might say global crisis requires a global response, and that justifies global governance. So with the Agenda 21 plan, if you look at it, um, it just looks kind of pretty. And uh, But you might say, okay, well, we're going to end poverty. That's the number one goal, supposedly, uh, end poverty. But then the question is, well, how are you going to do that? What does that mean? So the three E's, they, you know, they call these three pillars of Agenda 21, are the three E's, economy, ecology, and social equity. You're going to see that term a lot with the Biden uh, administration equity and really uh, how do you end poverty well what you do is you reduce the expectations of people who have money and when you think to yourself that you know you were out there waving your sign and screaming about the one percent in fact the one percent in the world you're gonna find different figures on this but generally speaking the one percent is anyone who makes over thirty two thousand dollars a year well nearly most everyone in the United States I would say the vast majority of the people in the United States are the 1%. So, you know, I want you to really internalize that for just a second and think about what that might mean for you. Uh, you know, this is about reducing your expectations for yourself. It's about universal basic income because you're going to need it. It's about uh, restricting your ability to use your land and your water that you think is yours. And uh, where your food security, you know, where does your food come from? How are you able to, to ensure that your children, that you yourself and your children will, will have a better life? Everyone always thinks things are going to get better. Um, under this plan, things for the developed nations do not get better. They, in fact, are reversed. And uh, uh, this is the hardscape for your future poverty that's being developed now. For instance, what are transit villages and food sheds? You write about this in your book, Behind the Green Mask. Transit villages, um, if you live in a town, you live in a city right now, maybe it's a small city, and you might have noticed uh, recently or within the last 10, 15 years that uh, your town was redeveloped. They made your downtown prettier. They planted street trees. They did some traffic calming. They, uh, they did bulb outs, uh, there's lights, you know, it's harder to just zip through town. Um, there's a lot of buildings that are built on either side of the street now. A lot of stuff got uh, taken down and new stuff got built. Uh, condos on top of shops, maybe two, three, four-story buildings uh, on top of shops um, and ground floor coffee shops and stuff like that. You've got your bike lanes, you have your median uh, center median, and that's the center of your town now. And it looks kind of pretty, and you, you're paying for that, whether you know it or not. Your property taxes are going to pay for that for about 30 to 45 years. Uh, they used your property tax uh, in a redevelopment project, and they used bonds. They paid bond brokers, and you're paying those bonds off. So um, that's your smart growth in the center of your town. So um, 
transit villages are um, basically formerly known as cities. These are islands of human habitation. Uh, that's what it's called by the United Nations, islands of human habitation. Just think about that, islands. Um, so uh, the idea is that you need to be, you know, if we're going to reduce your energy usage and your transportation, personal transportation ability, you need to be close to the center of towns so that we can run transportation, high-speed buses or possibly rail, which is basically designed to sink your economy and fail. Um, so you're, you're brought in closer to the city center so that you can take that public transportation because they can't get that out to you in the rural and suburban areas. It's just not cost efficient. So your transit, uh, transit village is, you know, basically you might see that around your, if you live in, say, San Francisco Bay Area, it's around the BART stations, the Bay Area Rapid Transit train. So a lot of that land was, you know, I don't want to get too much into detail, but a lot of it actually was publicly owned land in the first place that was uh, you owned it basically as a citizen, and it was given for free oftentimes to a developer or with huge subsidies for uh, for development so that these low, uh, low, moderate, and medium income apartments could be constructed. This is part of the, something called the Wildlands Project too, which is the other half of the plan, which is a smart growth plan. So that's high density in your city center. And then your uh, your wildlands project is to get you out of there. You know, no uh, you know no permanent human habitation in the wildlands. Bringing back the wildlands for wild carnivores and other things, and making court areas, buffers, and corridors for human beings. So you'd basically be in the human habitation island, and everything outside of that is off limits. This is a design plan. This is not you know something I'm making up here. And it's not something that's way out there in the future. This is happening now, right now. And, uh, you know, this is, this is where you find that your, your power to actually stop this has really slipped away from you. And what you're seeing now are uh, global mayors making international agreements that actually eclipse the nation state and take away your ability to, uh, to talk about or object to the plan. Dissent is not permitted. Yes, you write that UN Agenda 21 Sustainable Development consists of very specific land use policies that it wants implemented in every city, county, state, and nation, consisting of high-density urban mixed-use development. I saw this happening in Venice, California, where I used to live. That is ground floor retail with residential apartments stacked above. Can you talk about the drawbacks of this kind of high-density urban development? Yeah, I'd love to because, you know, this is really, I mean, these are the kinds of things, they sound really cool, and you go, God, I think that sounds great. I mean, who doesn't want to live, you know, city center and vibrant, walkable, bikeable, green, you know, they've got all the jargon terms. It just sounds so great. You want to be part of that. It's, like, exciting, right? Sounds so good. Um let me give you an example of, of something like that. I want you to think about it, please, because uh, this is, okay, first of all, let's just, let me just reel this back for a minute, because we've got private property rights in the United States and around the world, there are private property rights. You have to remember, you are your most important private property, you yourself. So this plan is not just a land use plan. It's also a plan to manipulate and control human population. So, uh, so, so part of it is, of course, surveillance, the panopticon. And 
I'll give you an example of what smart growth ideally looks like because a lot of what smart growth is, this high-density development over shops, it's piecemeal. They're not able to tear everything down at once because you have to wait for a major commercial real estate crash, just exactly as we're experiencing right now with COVID. Uh, So what's going to happen with all those office buildings that nobody's in anymore? What's going to happen with all those malls that nobody goes to in the center of your town? What's going to happen there? What's going to happen is that it's going to be changed to residential, to basically high-density residential in the center of your town. Well, it's going to have to be demolished or repurposed. So um, when you think about what's the perfect sustainable development, smart growth unit, property development, you want to think about something like Sidewalk Labs, Toronto, Keyside. Now, this is a project that was developed by, you know, you know that Google is owned by their parent company, which is Alphabet. And another subsidiary besides Google owned by Alphabet is called Sidewalk Labs. And they are uh, engaged in actually creating the city of the future. Now, you think about, okay, what's the city of the future going to be? It's going to be full surveillance capability at all time. So that's exactly what Sidewalk Lab wanted to do in Toronto. And uh, this is embedding sensors in every, you know, this is a ground-up thing. There's nothing there. You know, it's some, like, old yards and stuff, the uh, rail yards and stuff. So they're going to remove all of that. They're going to build from the ground up buildings, smart growth buildings that are completely surveilled, you know, sensors everywhere. Now, the way this was going to work was that you would only get services there if you agreed to live in a space like that and only get the same services as everyone else if you agreed to have all that information linked to your identity. So uh, there was a phenomenal group called uh, Hashtag Block Sidewalk that fought this like crazy and was able to stop it. Sidewalk Labs is still looking. They will be doing this, and this is the city of the future. This is your you know, transit village, new city, smart city. This is what they mean when they say smart city. It's about using biometrics. It's about tracking. This is sustainability, monitoring, assessing, rating, and tracking you, the surveillance state. This is not my strange paranoia. This is the reality for the future. These buildings, it's very hard to repurpose an existing building. So you need to destroy the existing building. This is what transform and disrupt really mean and create the new uh, you know, surveillance panopticon. And that is the focus of the future. I'm speaking with author, activist, and researcher Rosa Corey. Today's show, Behind the Green Mask. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. And how are civil liberties being restricted under the guise of environmental concerns? How do these plans trample individual rights and freedoms? You've already talked about this a a little bit. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the ways, I'll say, that your rights and your freedoms are are destroyed by this plan, and I'm talking about real, major, real destruction, is, as I was saying, this we are a nation uh, based in private property, and that you yourself are your most important private property. You own your thoughts, you own your, your genome, your DNA, your, you know, your life is your own, should be. But uh, if you think about these plans, you know, a lot of times they show up as a land use plan, as I said. Um, The property owner, ask yourself, where's the property owner in all of this? We're talking about assembling huge tracts of land on the main streets of many larger towns, larger cities, 
oftentimes the regional plan, and you have a regional plan in your town, I urge you to look at it. Put in the name of your town and regional plan, you know, into your search browser. Put in the word sustainability. I have on my websites, I have a list of things, so ways to find this in your town. So um, the way it works is that you're literally uh, the private property owners whose land is being, uh, let's say they're visioning on it. They're imagining what can happen there. You get invited to come on down and give your opinion of this cool new plan for the center of your town. And you go down there and you've got your little gold stars and your crayons and you're coloring what you want to see on, you know, on these big maps. Where's the property owner? They haven't invited the property owner to this meeting. You're out there. Who knows who you are? You can be from any town, anywhere. You could be hired by an, an, an employee of the consultant firm that is doing this plan. And in fact, it's the same plan all over the world. Hanoi 2030, uh, Mexico 2030, Plan Bay Area, Plan New York, uh, four states, one vision, the power of 32, that's 32 counties. These plans are all over the world. So the same plan everywhere. And uh, just has different street names, but it's the same plan, and they all do the same thing, all removing you from the suburban and rural areas. And you say, okay, you're going to say to me, well, you know, how are they going to get me out of my house? Are you kidding me? I live there. I own that. No one's making me leave. Well, I think in my book I describe exactly how they do it, which is very well done. They basically make it so that it's too heavy for you to stay out there. You can't afford the taxes anymore because enough people have uh, have lost their lands out there, have been restricted in using the water in their well by well monitoring, have had their roads pulverized and turned to gravel because there's no money to maintain them, have had their services cut. Um, in the suburban areas, you might have loss of control over your schools. You might have, uh, in fact, these low interest rates that are making it so you can get that million-dollar loan. Um, are making it so that your property taxes are going to be really high. Don't forget that when you go think you can run and get that loan. You're going to pay very high property taxes. They're going to keep going up and your services will go down. Pretty soon you're going to lose that property. You might want to move, not be able to sell it. You're going to lose it. And this is the design of this thing. It's, it's incremental. It's a global plan that's implemented locally and it's incremental because you cannot go from the nation state to a one-world governance system in one jump. It's regional. The interim step is regionalization, and that is what we are about to experience now. And you have your so-called fiefdoms. This is neo-feudalism. You have people stepping up that are indicating that they're very happy to be those new princes, and that would be Cuomo, Newsom, Garcetti, Whitmer. This This is the way this plan is designed, is to identify willing people, global mayors willing to go along to get along. The global mayors eclipse the um, the nation state, and that's how it begins to be broken down. Well, according to your book, we can say that the United Nations Agenda 21 Sustainable Development Program seeks to control land use and manage populations. In your view, then, who and what is behind Agenda 21? Do we know whose plans these are? Mm-hmm. Well, that's such a good question. And, you know, I mean, this is like, of course, people, they, they get over their initial shock and then they, you know, immediately you go into denial because who wants to believe this stuff? Because then you've got to ask yourself your next question after this one is what can we do? 
Uh, and of course, nobody wants to do anything because we're talking about some big stuff here, pretty serious, and what can be done. So who is doing it? Um, you know, you're, you're experiencing it right now. You're beginning to see who's doing it. Um, it depends on if you're on the blue team, you're on the red team, you don't know. You're kind of like, if you're on the blue team, you're like, yay, you know, those awful people. I don't want them to have, uh, you know, I want to see their websites taken down. I want to see them shut up. I don't want to see them be able to, you know, have a voice. Um, who's doing it to you are, this is the big money, big major mega corporations. I'm not talking about, you know, the little guy on the corner. I'm talking about uh, plants that are run by career public servants who've been trained in the, in the universities who have been indoctrinated since they were in kindergarten with the ideology that runs this plan. I'm talking about um, the National Association of Regional Governments, the um, uh, United Cities and Local Governments.org, UCLG, committed to the Sustainable Development Goals. It empowers local governments to support sustainable development goals. And that, of course, sounds good. If this stuff didn't sound good, you wouldn't go for it. Plans like this always sound good. All revolutionary plans always sound good. They're all designed to, uh, to manipulate you. You know, if it didn't sound good, you'd never go along with it. So um, this is about uh, people being rewarded, major players being rewarded, uh, whether they're global mayors like Garcetti or uh, Claudia Scheinheim in, in Mexico City or whatever, or you're going to have your major Google, you're going to have Facebook, you're going to have major entities, Amazon that are taking over, that are uh, taking over major parts, segments of the economy that stand to gain. Uh, you know, this is the way this plan is designed, is the small people, the little people, we are, we're going out of business right now. I said this is a mega corporate plan, and what do they want? Any competition is a threat. I don't care if you're selling chiclets on the street. <laughs> you're a threat to a major corporation. The corporate model is to take over and get as big as possible. So the mega regions are driving the economy and overpowering the nation state. So this is how it's done. There are many willing and ignorant people going along with this, people who've been uh, indoctrinated, as I said, from um, kindergarten to postgraduate school. You might be a change agent. You think of yourself as a change agent? I'm sorry, but a change agent is a useful idiot. Uh, you know, change, you have to ask yourself, what change is it? And is that change somewhere that I want to go? Am I being indoctrinated? Am I being manipulated by the ideology, by the story, by the candy coating, by the green mask of this plan? And the answer is yes, of course. This is, uh, this is how it's done. It's, uh, it, makes it makes everything look so pretty that you don't realize that you're walking off a cliff. According to your book, it was the Brundtland Commission of the World Commission on Environment and Development that came up with a definition of sustainable development. In your book, you point out that the chairman of this commission was Maurice Strong. I have read that Maurice Strong was an oil billionaire from Canada that worked with the Rockefellers and is commonly referred to as the father of global warming. Do you have an opinion as to why big oil would be pushing this agenda? Mm -hmm. You know, this is so interesting. We could talk about this for a long time. 
And of course, Marie Strong is, is well known for the, the oil for food program. Um, you know, the United Nations, uh, it was a corruption thing where he actually had to flee to China and spent uh, the rest of his life in China. Almost, uh, I think he came back to the U.S. at the end of his life. He also, something else he did, you know, this is the green groovy dude, you know. He, he also bought up uh, a, a valley in Colorado uh, below the Sangre de Cristo Mountains there, which is the largest aquifer in the United States, I believe, and had intended to drain that aquifer and sell off the water um, until he, you know, basically was, you know, exposed for not being, the, you know, the Mr. Mr. Cool Green Man. Um, you know, so there's obviously, I mean, the, the least thing you can say about these people is that they're hypocrites. Um, so Maurice Strong is just one of a number of people who who are, the, the global hypocrites who make huge, huge amounts of money to to make this plan happen. I will say that Agenda 21 was the uh, largest gathering of heads of state and uh, large um, corporations and uh, organizations, nonprofits, non-governmental organizations to that date in the world, 1992. And when Senator Al Gore brought uh, the United States delegation to Rio de Janeiro in 92 to approve this. Um, he said that, you know, obviously he said it's a wrenching transformation, but his partnership with um, Maurice Strong goes deep because they had, okay, so all of you are paying your climate footprint. You know, it's like you take a plane, you go, oh, yeah, I'll add that two bucks to my plane ticket because I'm paying for my global warming, you know, footprint, right? Well, these guys, they, they ran something called the Chicago Climate Exchange, where they had uh, intended to sell, uh, you know, make an, basically the same kind of thing as a stock exchange, but use climate, um, climate allotments uh, credits for different corporations. This was going to be the plan. Well, uh, they made a bundle of money, Al Gore and, and, um, and Maurice Strong did together, and then, and then it collapsed. It went from like $5 to $0.05 cents or something like that, and they had gotten all the money out. So, um, yeah, these are people who are, you know, they're, they're masters of the green mask. And uh, I, I really urge people, you know, don't feel, certainly we want to feel a little bit bad about our participation in the plan, but, you know, the more you know about it, the more you realize that this is, you know, it's not your fault that you were duped. And But the, the thing is, if you do continue to participate in it, if you continue to virtue signal with that thing on your lawn, uh, if you continue to act like, you know, you're so good, what that does to you is it makes it very hard for you to change because you have your entire identity wrapped up in this plan, you see? And so if you step away from this plan and you say, no, I think this is wrong, I think that there's something I need to ask questions about climate change, deindustrialization. Uh, I need to ask questions about COVID where everyone becomes the enemy and everyone is kept separate and no one can speak freely. And we render a, a, you know, an extreme emergency that lasts and lasts and lasts. Uh, well, if you ask questions like that, then, you're, then you, you really have to ask yourself who you are and it's a frightening thing, it can be scary. So uh, what we need to do is recognize that all of us come to this information in our own way, usually when we're uh, run up against it for a personal thing. So if you have a business that's closed now and you're going bankrupt or, um, you know, your land is being taken for one of these projects. or So this one by one, you get politicized, you recognize what's going on. But yes, the, the people running this plan, the corporations, the major wealth that's running this plan has absolutely no interest in whether you're a Democrat or Republican or whatever. It's all designed that the top power has no party. It's designed to keep us 
at each other's throats so we don't really see what's going on. I'm speaking with author, activist, and researcher Rosa Corey. Today's show, Behind the Green Mask. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. And of course, with regard to big oil being behind these plans, it does seem like sort of a contradiction if we've got some sort of a green plan going, but oil billionaires are behind it. You write that high-density urban development without parking for cars is the goal, so obviously they want to get rid of cars. What about restrictions on rural property and lost farmland? What will the effects of these policies be? Well, where's your food going to come from? Are you going to grow it in a downtown parking garage? Are you going to be reliant on another country for your food uh, or not have it at all? Are you going to, you know, even just being reliant on government to deliver your food to you? Um, You know, are you going to get food for everyone? Does that mean GMOs? Um, How are you going to, you know, how is it that you're going to literally be able to live and these are these are major questions that you know you that's why you have to look behind that green mask that tells you that everything is going to be great if only you uh you cut down everything that you're doing in order to uh to really it's the illusion of local control you have the illusion that you actually have something that you can say you have the illusion that you're making a choice you have the illusion that uh you know that this change is actually a positive thing but in fact really what this is doing is controlling the economy it's literally um you know making it so that you have less freedom and you know Look at a guy like Ted Turner, for example, who's, you know, Turner Broadcasting and all, you know, conglomerate major wealth, uh, who's one of the largest landowners in the United States and uh, has five kids, by the way. He says there's too many people using up too much stuff. And then uh, Bill Gates is now the largest owner of farmland in the United States. So uh, when you know these things, you, you have to ask yourself why it is that uh, you're still buying these stories that you're the, a global citizen and that you need to be green and that you have to, you know, this is not about reuse, creative reuse, recycling, and, you know, not wasting things. This is not about that. That's just the green mask, the story that they use. Why must austerity and scarcity be created and maintained? Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for asking me that question because this is a plan of artificial austerity and scarcity it's it's real austerity it's artificial scarcity and uh and this is what you know this is what the plan does it's that drawing in that restriction that uh you know bringing you down because uh, I'll, I'll tell you why actually it's because uh, as i said you know you think you're you know you're you're out there you're occupy you're fighting the uh, 99 the one percent and then you, when you find out that you are the one percent that in fact, you know, if the if the median or whatever it is uh, income of of the world is uh, below thirty two thousand dollars, and you make more than that, but you are the one percent. Um, if you're trying to to look around for who it is that you know that you're going to attack, you, you know, you go and you look in the mirror because that's that's what it looks like. 
is, uh, you know, are, are, you know, this is what austerity is. It's going to be able to focus on you and your use. You know, how many bathrooms do you have in your house? Well, you don't need that. How, why do you have a car? Let's have you sharing a vehicle with someone. That's Uber uh, and Lyft. And not only that, but recording exactly where you go and when you went uh, at all times. How about uh, Airbnb? You know, you thought you could buy that house, but you can't afford to live in it unless you rent out part of it to somebody. Um, you're going to increase densities in areas. You're going to restrict your ability. You're going to have, if you move into those smart growth uh, units, they don't have any private outdoor space. Maybe you have a balcony, but now there's a rule you can't smoke in your unit. You can't, uh, you know, you want to play saxophone, you want to fight, you want to, you know, with your partner, you want to, you know, whatever you want to do, you're bothering somebody. Uh, and maybe there's even a rule or a law against it. And um, so everywhere you go, there's sensors. There are those ring doorbells or whatever that have the uh, video camera in them. They're being linked up and shared with uh, law enforcement. So this is, you know, austerity and scarcity mean uh, restriction and tracking and reporting and surveillance. This is, this is 9-11 made the security state possible. COVID makes a surveillance state possible. And how does economic collapse play into Agenda 21, or does it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly it does. Uh, you know, and that's what we're experiencing now. We're going through, you know, we're, we're falling now. We're dropping now. We're like dead man walking. We're off that cliff. Uh, you know, we're going to get that universal basic income tossed to us. You know, yeah, you can live on 1200 bucks a month, can't you? Um, you know, and some people will be like, yeah, man, I can really, that's fabulous. That's more than I'm getting right now. That's, you know, this is what's going to happen is that you are going to find that if you aspire to a middle class lifestyle, you are, you know, you're one of the 1%. You're somebody who's, you know, using up too much stuff. You're somebody who needs to, um, to be restricted. And so, uh, yes, crashing the economy supports Agenda 21 because it makes it so that, uh, you know, your land, uh, your land values drop in your city center. And, you know, for instance, uh, as I said, there are regional plans all across the United States. Uh, the one in the San Francisco Bay Area is called Plan Bay Area 2050. We did sue to stop this plan. We spent a lot of money. We went uh, lost in Superior Court, went up to appeal, and we lost there. Did we lose on the merits? No, we did not. And uh, everyone who loses a case always says that. I know it. But in this case, uh, this was too powerful a case to have, to have the government lose. It was a fight against a regional plan. So um, what's in that trillion-dollar budget uh, for the next 30 years for this regional plan, which will be paid for by your property taxes? It's about uh, limiting... Uh, rent raises to the rate of inflation over all properties in the entire nine-county San Francisco Bay Area. It's about it's it includes uh, 219 billion dollars to construct deed-restricted affordable housing for homeless and low-income people. It's uh, to transform aging malls and office parks to neighborhoods. It's uh, it's it's for uh, 205 billion dollars for statewide universal basic income, 500 dollars a month. Um, it's up $237 billion to acquire affordable homes, homes that are right now on the market that are affordable, and put deed restrictions on them to keep them affordable. So you think, you think you've got freedom. This is socialized. And if you think this is a good thing, the only way you're going to think this is a good thing is if you have nothing. 
And, you know, the thing is, is that uh, the social credit score, which you see in China, and uh, which, which is basically that values you based on an algorithm and makes it so much easier to determine your value. Some people have no value or are worth less than their student loans. Most of us are worth less than whatever our debt is. Most of us have no value and are, in fact, a, a hindrance to this plan, regardless of whether you've got a sign on your lawn saying what you believe in your house. You're a hindrance to the plan because humans really are the enemy of this plan, the average person. So, uh, so that's what we're going to see is that you're, you're going to be ground down by debt, by uh, services that don't come to you because you're not, you know, the, you know, you're not someone who qualifies for them. And basically, this is sort of a de facto dictatorship. I know this is a dis- very dystopian uh, vision, but look out your window. Do I have to tell you what's going on and where it's going? This is, in fact, where it has been going. This is the Chinese social credit score is, you know, in fact, what Google is doing right now. And, and not only that, but you can expand it to your human genome project. If you spit into a cup to find out what your background is with 23andMe or Ancestry.com, you have given up your DNA to Google or a major corporation, and uh, you don't have control of that any longer. This plan is designed to restrict your ability to live freely as an individual. So this is, you know, this, they use terror tactics. This is what climate change is. It's a, it's a, you can't have globalization, global crisis without a, you know, you can't have globalization without a global crisis. That's what climate change is. That's what COVID is. This is a terror plan. You write, quote, hey, it's not what is Agenda 21. It's what isn't Agenda 21. You have found this agenda woven into all levels of governance, from municipal to global. Is there any way to avoid it? (laughs) Such a great question that we all are asking ourselves. And of course, you know, if you're still listening to me and uh, you're hanging in there and I appreciate it, um, you know, what can we do? Uh, I'll tell you what you can do. It's a lot of things. First of all, be vocal. Be visible, have courage, be brave, Um, drop your phone, leave it, leave it in a drawer and don't take it around with you. Try and do that. That's a surveillance device. You know, if you're having a conversation, if you read my book or, you know, other information like this, and I want to say you look, don't look at Wikipedia, they're going to tell you that I'm crazy, that it's a non-binding voluntary plan. Yes, that's true. It's in your government. They brought it into the United States. It's binding on you now. All right, so um, you want to ask yourself, what can you do? You can assist others in finding out this information. You can have you know, really nice, calm conversations with people about the plan and ask them questions about why they believe what they do. Ask yourself why you believe what you think you believe. You want to put a sign in your window. You've got those signs on your lawn. Take them off your lawn. Why don't you put one on there that says, in this house, we believe in the the Bill of Rights and the Constitution of the United States. That's okay. That doesn't make you a flag-waving Republican. That makes you an American, which is not a thing to be ashamed of. I'm, I'm really who I say I am, too. Queer, the whole thing. But you know what? I'm not going to be manipulated by people who can make me think that somebody is my enemy um, when they're not my enemy. These are people who are real nice people. It's about raising consciousness. It's awareness is the first step in the resistance. You must become aware. 
And I encourage you, I give you courage to step up, to allow yourself to break through that straitjacket of non-understanding, of not wanting to be part of a free world. Because you know what? There are millions of us out there, not going to see it on MSNBC, not going to hear it on PBS, whatever, but it's happening now and it's big. A lot of people, young people, old people, everyone, people are breaking through, speaking to each other, being honest, having meetings in person, talking about this, and looking for ways to create a new track of freedom. Rosa Corey, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me and for your listeners for listening. Thank you. I've been speaking with Rosa Corey. Today's show has been Behind the Green Mask. For almost 30 years, Rosa Corey was District Branch Chief for the California Department of Transportation, an expert witness in land use, an appraiser, and a commercial and industrial appraiser, mainly focusing on eminent domain valuation. She is an international activist for individual rights and free speech. As the author of Behind the Green Mask, UN Agenda 21, she has exposed the face of United Nations Agenda 21 and shown activists how to identify and fight it locally. Her message of hope and encouragement has helped to activate a worldwide resistance movement against the technological superstate. She is the executive director of the Post Sustainability Institute. Visit her websites at postsustainabilityinstitute.org, democratsagainstagenda21.com, and behindthegreenmask.com. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner, Yaromako, and Tony Rango. Visit us at gunsandbutter.org to listen to past programs, comment on shows, or join our email list to receive our newsletter that includes recent shows and updates. Email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.org. Follow us on Twitter at G&B Radio. Release. You dig me?